0: Hi, I'm Hari Srinivasan, and this is SciTech in a Flash. In this episode, we explore how warmer winters are affecting our planet. Earth's polar regions are sensitive enough that a difference of one or two degrees in temperature can thaw a world of ice. I recently sat down with polar scientist Marco Tedesco of Columbia University's Earth Institute. He's been studying these warmer winters and their effect on our poles and our planet. Take a listen. You guys put out a report card. Um, What's in an Arctic report card?
1: Well, the Arctic report card is something sponsored by NOAA and uh, which groups many scientists, this year 61 scientists, to put out what is the state of the Arctic in a very fast and um, and quick way mm-hmm. right after when the data comes up fresh from the sensors so that we can have a better picture of what the state of the Arctic is, what's happening and how things are changing.
0: So what are the grades of the Arctic and what's been happening over time?
1: Well, uh, the Arctic has been warming, first of all, at a very fast pace. Uh, mostly twice as about the, uh, the rate of the rest of the planet. Uh, For 2016, for example, uh, the Arctic, just the land over the Arctic was up to about 3.5 degrees Celsius, about 6.3 degrees Fahrenheit, warmer than the average. And the overall Arctic was about 2 degrees Celsius, about 4, 4 4.5 Fahrenheit, warmer than the rest of the
0: world. So why is it happening at the pole? Uh, more so than in the rest of the planet. Well,
1: when the rest of the planet warms up, there is something called, we call Arctic amplification. The Arctic amplification is really the mechanism through which the Arctic warms much faster than the rest of the world. One example, there are all these feedback mechanisms. So, mechanism that amplifies the effect of a warming world. For example, this appearance of sea ice. You replace a very bright surface that reflects a lot of sun radiation and keeps the planet coal, cool with a dark ocean that absorbs a lot of solar radiation and keeps warming more and more the Arctic. These, uh, for example, in other aspects are all a mechanism they are amplifying the, the warming of the Arctic, and—and and this is what
0: happens. So, is it a bit of a—I um, hate to mix snow and ice here—but a snowball effect? Where the more ocean you get, the more heat it absorbs, the faster it melts, the more ocean Correct. you get the
1: snowball effect sometimes i describe you like a train running downhill for example right so if you put the temperature it's your coal in the furnace your train goes faster and faster if you put more coal but if your train is running downhill like the amplifying mechanism on your on your speed then even if you don't start putting more coal the train the train will keep accelerating uh, you know, farther and farther and so that's what happens you put more coal we're going downhill and everything happens much faster
0: So let's talk a little bit about what are the actual impacts on the surface. So places like Greenland, um, they're not as green as they once were, or maybe you're seeing more green now than you used to see.
1: Well, we don't see a lot of green, but we see less ice. Mm. And uh, also we see more bare ice exposed. You know, snow is one thing pure snow, bright snow, it really reflects a lot of solar radiation. The ice, which is below the snowpack, is really what really puts uh, water into the ocean that contributes to sea level ice, because this ice, uh, ice has been locked for a very long time on the ice sheet and is not part of the water cycle. Uh, and so when we expose this bare ice, it's very dark, it contains dark material, and so it absorbs the sunlight much stronger and it melts much faster. And so. We are starting to remove this ice that was locked for tens of thousands of years and put it into the ocean, which is directly contributing to the sea level rise. And that sea level rise can be felt globally can be felt globally, yes. So everything you put into the ocean will be redistributed, but overall, the impact that this might have is both local in terms of salinity, ecosystems, fishery, but also global in terms, of course, of sea level rise in coastal
0: regions. So if you put a you know, cube of ice in a glass of water, it doesn't necessarily change, but it, it, it does start to expand, and over time when that melts, you get a lift, right? So
1: the cube, in, the reality is that the ice is not sitting in the water; it's sitting on land. So everything that we remove from land to the ocean, that actually is increasing our glass. Of so water. that's the equivalent of adding more and more ice it's cubes. It's equivalent in, adding right. more and more ice cube. There are ice shelves, of course. Ice is sitting into the water. That does not add up. But when those are removed, that is really the unplugging a cork of your champagne bottle, and then all the ice behind
0: start flowing much faster, and this increases sea level rise. So, as these, star, as these changes are able to be measured, mm-hmm. um, there are different scientists that say we're at a tipping point, we're nearing a tipping point, or we're past a tipping point. Can this be slowed? Well, uh, it can be slowed, but we
1: don't know how fast we can. it can be slowed. And there are mechanisms that can counter-affect the acceleration that we're seeing, and namely, it's more putting more snow or cooling down the planet. This is really the. No, recipe. There's no big other issue or big other thought to make. And you can do this by reducing, of course, the CO2 emission. So the time, the thing that needs to be very, uh, that is very important to to think of is the time that takes to destroy or to remove the ice from the ice sheet is much faster than the time that it will take to build an ice sheet. You can really see this like building slowly is something that takes a long time to consolidate and, and, and take shape and then suddenly you take away the base of the structure, everything collapses. To build it back, it still takes the same time, which is a long time and it's much longer than destroying it. So how do you measure the warming that's actually happening? Well, the warming is measured through a series of things. Satellites are observing the surface and the ocean and land surfaces through a, sensors, a network of sensors on land. Through models that try to replicate what happened in the past and is happening in the future in, in the present to project what will happen in the future. Uh, for example, satellites they've been used to measure uh, the mass of Greenland, how much mass Greenland is losing. Uh, they've been measuring to uh, they've been used to measure also how much snow is falling here and how much melt is occurring. We have all this beautiful set of sensors, which we didn't have in until 10, 12 years ago, mm-hmm. together with the advances of supercomputing, the possibility of exploring this data, and a new generation of scientists who's really focusing uh, their effort on understanding better these processes through these great data sets. And so we can, come, we can have a better picture now than we had even just 10, 12 years ago. And this is somehow uh, much better for us, but it's also more frustrating, because the more we know, the more we think there's an action that needs to be taken. Is there any question that humans are contributing to this? Well, not on my point of view and not to the opinion of the IPCC. I think uh, being skeptical is a good thing. I do agree with people who say that being a scientist means also being skeptical. This doesn't also mean that you need to start attacking a lot of things that are uh, easy to defend uh, when you don't have the time to do it or when you can do it in a fair way. So, to me, there's really little point to discuss about this.
0: Yeah, well, one of the things that even the head of the EPA says is it's really hard to measure the amount that humans contribute to all of this, but given all the work you do, you're doing, all of your peers are doing, um, you're fairly certain that this is warming that is caused by humans and it's actually, you can see the impact on the Arctic. Right, I do agree, it's very
1: hard, but I do think also that the scientific community is doing an excellent job. Uh, being hard doesn't mean it's wrong. Uh, I do think that there's more need to better understand or refine the projections uh, in which way. Uh, We want to know, for example, whether there will be a problem for a battery park in 20 or 40 years. If there is a storm surge coming with an increase in sea level rise, instead of being out one week, we'll be out maybe a month or a blackout in the subway, like it happened with Sandy. So in this regard, yes, we need to refine better, but we need to do it because we need to provide our expertise and service to the public by refining our, uh, our projections and work with policymakers to basically give back what we take from the, uh, from the
0: public, which is the federal taxes used for the mm. good of the public. All right. Marco Tedesco, Professor Lamont Doherty, Earth Observatory at Columbia University. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Want more SciTech Now? Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and watch full episodes at SciTechNow.org.